As a young man, probably a child, I was most excited about one day of the year, and that was New Year's Eve. Because my thought was that New Year's Eve had to be the greatest party of the year. I was like, it's going to be amazing. One, because you got to stay up till midnight, and that was a big deal. And uh, two, because like, you got to have a countdown and you know, say Happy New Year and pull the party poppers and have fireworks and all sorts of... Like, it seemed like it should be an amazing party. And so as I grew up, like, that was a thing I always looked forward to. And then one year when I was a bit older, I was uh, away on this thing called Beach Mission. And some of you will probably know what Beach Mission is. Beach Mission is where a bunch of Christians go away to a caravan park on the coast and they spend a, a week either side of New Year's uh, talking to people about Jesus, running, activities for kids. Uh, it's a really great ministry that happens. So there was this one year that I was on Beach Mission and I was really excited to find out what was going to happen for our New Year's Eve party because I loved everyone on Beach Mission. Like, we're going to have a great party together, all these great people. It's going to be excellent. And then they announced that they were going to have a bush dance. I was like, oh, bush dance? <laughs> bush dances are not fun, but fine. We'll have the bush dance and then after the bush dance, then we'll get into the party. It's going to be excellent. So we had the bush dance. The bush dance finished about 10 o'clock and then we were packing up and they're like, all right, everyone come back to the big, big marquee at 11 o'clock. I was like, yes, 11 o'clock. It's time for the party. Yay. And so then we gathered back in to the big marquee and I was ready for a party. And they're like, okay, we're going to sing some songs now to Jesus. And I was like, okay. <sighs> All right, but then when we finish singing, then we're going to have a party. So we sang some songs, and then after the songs, then they're like, okay, now, now our friend here is going to stand up and, and share a little bit of the Bible with us and give us a New Year's reflection. I was like, oh, I do not want a New Year's reflection. I want a New Year's party. That's what I want. And so then someone was sharing from the Bible for a while, and I was like looking at my watch, saying, like, hurry up because, you know, the, the countdown has to happen soon. And then they finished, like, great, okay, now where's the food? We're going to have a party. And they're like, okay, now let's sit down and we're going to share uh, some of our best memories from the year and what we're looking forward to for next year. I was like, no, no, I just want a party. And they did that, and then they finished at about 10 to midnight. I was like, great, at least we can have 10 minutes of party. We're going to have the countdown. It's going to be excellent. And they're like, okay, now we're going to have a time of prayer. It's like, prayer? That is like the least party thing that I can think of. I definitely do not want to pray. And Jesus is probably up in heaven saying, guys, I've got a countdown to get to. Stop praying. What are you doing? But we started praying. And then we were praying. And I was watching the clock. And there was like five minutes to go. And then two minutes to go. And then we were in the middle, there was someone praying, and they were like, and Lord God, we thank you that you are so full of joy and celebration. And we're here like around the campsite, 10, 9, like, and Lord God, we pray that we'll be able to bring this joy to the world. Like, 7, 6, and I'm like, and, like, and God, please help us to be repentant of our lack of joy sometimes. Like, three, two, one. And then he's like, and Jesus. <laughs> like, Happy New Year. And then they kept praying. And then it was like two past midnight and they were like, Amen. <laughs> and they looked up and they were like, 
well, I guess that's the new year then. <laughs> Happy New Year, everyone. And then they went to bed. <laughs> like, this is terrible. I was so, so upset and angry at Christians for ruining my New Year's. Well, that was my Christian New Year's. And then as I grew up, I then found out that I shouldn't spend New Year's with too many Christians. And uh, I went, I started going to uh, the harbour and uh, I started going to this place called uh, Observatory Hill, which you probably know. Uh, it's where the observatory is on a hill. And uh, it was, you can see the, the Harbour Bridge and stuff. It was really, it was a great place. But this was in the time before uh, they had, you know, kind of made it so that all the harbour for sure was alcohol free, which I think is actually a great idea. But this was before that. And so we'd be there and at the 9am fire, 9, 9 fireworks, that was for the Christians. And then at the, <laughs> at the 9pm fireworks, all the families would come in and then the families would leave. And then after that, all the drunk people would come in. And then, then that was an interesting party. Like everyone would be there and they'd be like sharing food with each other and sharing other things with each other and, and getting to know each other. And then they'd bring their own fireworks. There was one time when a man set his downstairs on fire and he was like, <laughs> I was like, I don't know if that's hilarious or terrifying, but, but, but these two kind of contrasts for me feels like, I, reading this passage, I'm like, which is the party that Jesus would be at? And I suspect, I don't know, but I suspect Jesus would be much less likely to be at the party with the Christians than he would be to be at the party with the guy who set his pants on fire. And not they're getting drunk with them, but they're getting to know them and being friends with them and sharing his life with them, because that's what we see happening in this passage. Now, if you look at the passage, you see what happens. Jesus turns up to this guy, Matthew, and Matthew is a tax collector. And we know about tax collectors because we talked about them at the beginning of the week, so we're not going to talk much about what that means, just that he was someone who nobody would have liked. And so Jesus walks up to him and says to him, follow me, and Matthew gets up and follows him, which is pretty amazing. Why would Matthew do that? Well, it could be because Jesus' words are so powerful that he says, follow me, and, and Matthew just has to do it. Or it could be that Jesus says, follow me, and Matthew knows who Jesus is because Jesus has been getting a reputation for himself around town. He's been healing people. He's been doing some good teaching, and Matthew has seen it, and so he wants to follow Jesus. Or it could also be that Matthew is so hated by everyone else and knows that he is in this situation uh, where he has no respect from anyone, that along comes someone like Jesus and gives him a bit of respect and welcomes him into his crew, that Matthew's like, here is my opportunity uh, to be with someone who will care for me and love me and teach me how to go his way. Now, I don't know what it was that made Matthew do it. It doesn't tell us, but whatever it is, Matthew responds to Jesus and follows him. And my guess is that other people saw this and they're like, oh, Jesus is asking the wrong guy because the tax collectors were the worst kind of people. And then Matthew has a party and Matthew invites all his friends along. And if you're someone like Matthew, then you are on the outskirts of society. And so your friends are also going to be the people who are on the outskirts of society. And so it says here that Matthew had a party with many tax collectors and sinners, and they came and ate with Jesus and his disciples. 
And as we remember from last time, when we're talking about Zacchaeus, if you eat with someone, it shows that you are aligning yourself with them, that you are sharing your life with them. It's like putting someone in your profile pic. Uh, This is what uh, Jesus is doing. And the people who would have been at this party, they were not the good people. The tax collectors and the sinners would be like a party today if you were, had a party and along came the, uh, the con men and the mafia people and the prostitutes and the pimps and the drug dealers and the drug takers and maybe a few homeless people. It would be a very disreputable party. And that's exactly where Jesus was, right in the middle of that party, eating and drinking with them and getting to know them. And then the, the Pharisees see this and they start muttering about it and they're worried about what is happening and they think this is terrible for Jesus' reputation. And so they go and they talk to the disciples. And this is uh, not the main point of the talk at all, but this is something that will happen if you're in leadership. If someone has a problem with you, there is a very low chance they're going to go and talk to you about it. And the Pharisees have a problem with Jesus and they don't talk to Jesus, they go and talk to his disciples. So let me encourage you, one, uh, if people are having a go, uh, that they did that for Jesus. But two, if you have a problem with someone, don't go and talk to the people near them, or even worse, talk to the people near you who aren't even near them. Go and talk to the person and tell them what your problem is. That's not the point of the passage, but just a quick leadership tip for you. Now, they, they go up to the disciples and they say, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus, he responds to that. He hears this. I don't know if he hears about it or he actually hears them ask, but he turns to them and he says this. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call the righteous, sorry, for I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So we're going to figure out what is Jesus saying in this bit. Well, the first thing that Jesus says is that it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Jesus is saying to them that he is like a doctor and he has come for those who are sick. And it would be absurd if you were a doctor who only hung out with healthy people. Like imagine that you got a phone call that your friend was was really sick and has been rushed straight into surgery and so you hear this, and so you go, go to the hospital, and then you're in the waiting room with your, your friends and your friend's family, and you're waiting there to find out what happens. And then there's this one person kind of hanging around in the waiting room with you, chatting to people, and you don't know who this person is, but they're wearing a white coat, and they've got a stethoscope on. And then eventually they get to you, and he's like, oh, hey, what are you do, doing here? And he's like, oh, I work here. I'm a doctor. And you're like, oh, that's interesting. I'm just waiting to find out about my friend. And he's like, oh, so are you on your break at the moment? And they're like, no, I'm not on my break. I'm like, oh, you're working. You're like, yeah, yeah, I'm working. You're like, well, why aren't you looking up to people? It's like, well, I'm meant to be in surgery with this guy who just got rushed in, but I, I don't want to be there. Like, why would I want to be there? Sick people are the worst. They're just so depressing. Like, hanging out with sick people reminds you of your own mortality. I don't want to do that. I would rather be with you people, you healthy people, so much more fun. Why would I want to be with sick people? You're like, you are a terrible doctor. Get back in there and fix my friend. My friend is dying and you're out here with me? Like, you are the worst. Like, a doctor that doesn't hang out with sick people is the worst kind of doctor. 
And Jesus, if he is the son of God, who has come to seek and save the lost, then he's got to go and find the lost. If he is God come to be with us so that we would know who God is, then he's got to go and find the people who need to know who God is. If Jesus just came out and hung out with the good people who knew God, then he would not be doing his job. He is Dr. Jesus who has come to find the sick. And so then he says this next thing where he says, "Uh, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And this is a quote uh, from Hosea 6.6. And he's saying to these people who are the Bible teachers, who know their Bible really well, you need to go and learn your Bible. It would be like someone coming here and, you know, grabbing, you know, Kate and Nige and and me and those of us who teach the Bible for a living and say, listen, you've got to go and learn what this means. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And we would be like, if we weren't as humble as we are, we're like, what do you mean? Go and learn what that means. We know what that means. We teach it to people all the time. It's our job to talk about this. That is, this is what we do. Don't tell us to go and learn what that means. We are the Bible people, but we don't do that because we're very humble. But this is what Jesus is doing with the Pharisees. He's saying, go and learn your Bibles. He's saying to the Bible people, you don't know what the Bible means. And so what is Jesus saying here? Well, what it seems to be saying that Jesus is saying is he's saying that you guys have the wrong view of religion, that your religion is a transactional religion, that you do sacrifice and sacrifice for you is about ticking the boxes, getting it done, that you are good people doing good things because you are in relationship with God and God likes you because you are good. But God doesn't want a transactional relationship with you. God wants a relationship that is built on his mercy. God's character is to have mercy. You know, I have had a few fines in my life. The first fine I ever got uh, while driving a car was for speeding. And I was driving down the road and uh, I was practicing a sermon in the car. And as I was driving along, I was being very holy and practicing, but I wasn't paying attention to the speedo. And so it kind of climbed up to about 70 something and as I was driving along, um, I just didn't notice it. And then I got flashed by the, the speed camera. And then I was like, oh, gosh, I just, just got a speeding ticket. I've never done that before. And then I was like, oh, no. And then I got the, the ticket. And, and I didn't feel particularly bad. I just felt like I'd done a dumb thing. I should pay more attention to the speedo. And so then I paid it and I sent it off. And that was fine. And then I got another one uh, about a year or so later. And this time I was sitting at some lights in the middle of the night. And uh, I was driving home, I think, and uh, I was sitting there and uh, there was no one around. And I looked up and I was like, oh, the lights are green. So I drove off. And as I was driving, there was this flash. And I was like, someone just got done for speeding. And then I looked around, I was like, oh, there's no one around. And I was like, I just got done for speeding. I was like, I couldn't have just got done for speeding. My car is not that good. I just just left the lights and I'm driving at like 25 kilometers an hour. I definitely didn't get done for speeding. I was like... I just got done for a red light. I was like, but the lights were green. And I was like, were the lights green? I don't know. And then I think what happened is I looked up and I thought the lights were green and they hadn't changed. For some reason, that something went wrong in my head or Satan possessed the lights. I don't know. 
But whatever happened, I got done. And so then I got the ticket and then I paid it and I sent off and it was fine. I didn't feel bad about it. I did the transaction. I paid the price. I got it sent off. It wasn't a worry. I didn't feel at all upset. It, it didn't affect my thoughts about my character or my relationship with the government. It just was a thing that I got it done and sent it off. But I am regularly begging for forgiveness when I send people an email like two weeks late. It's like, I got your email and I forgot about it. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I'm a terrible human being. And I feel terrible about that. And I'm begging for mercy because there is a relationship that I have broken. Now, which one is worse? Is it worse to speed and run a red light or to not return an email? The first one, yeah. Like it's dangerous to speed and it's dangerous to run a red light. But for me, it's just a transaction. But, with, but when there's a relationship that's broken, that's where I'm begging for mercy. And now what this is saying is, is I think what Jesus is saying is that in your relationship with God, don't just see it as a transaction. That you just you know, do the right things, that you, you get the animal killed for, for your sake, and then God will forgive you, and you do the transaction, and you're fine because you're a good person doing good things to make yourself right with God. No, see it as a relationship where you need mercy because sacrifice isn't about just getting a transaction done. Sacrifice is about seeking God's mercy, that you need God's mercy to be in relationship with Him. Sacrifice is always about pointing to the mercy of God. The fact that animals are being killed for your sake as they did in these days, that, that is just pointing to the fact that you cannot pay the price for your sin, that blood has to be shed, someone has to take the place for you. And it's just pointing to the fact that along is going to come someone who will take the place for them. And that's Jesus himself, the doctor who came to seek and to save the lost, the doctor who came to seek the sinners, not the righteous. He's saying you need to be people whose lives are based on mercy, who know the mercy of God in your life, and so you go and share it with others. And that's why Jesus says then, I did not come to call the righteous but sinners. He came to call those people who know that they are sinners, who need the mercy of God so that they might receive the mercy of God through Jesus Christ. And this is the challenge for us in this passage, that we would be people who do not live a life that is all about the transaction with God, that we live a life that is all about mercy that we know the mercy that we have received from God in Jesus Christ. And we take that mercy, knowing that people who have received mercy, and then we go and find others who need to receive that mercy. We aren't good people going to find other good people to hang out with God, but that we are sinners who have been forgiven by God, who find other sinners so that they might also be forgiven by God. That our lives are about mercy. We have received mercy. And so we share God's mercy with others. Now, the challenge, I think, of this passage then is to be living, if we are living lives of mercy, that our lives reflect that not just in how we feel about ourselves and our relationship with God, but how we live out our relationships with others. That our lives are lives where we are so changed by the mercy that God has shown us that we want to share it with others. Like when you find something good, you want to let other people know about it. When you find a good show on Netflix, you tell other people they should watch that show. When you find a, a good food to eat, you tell other people they should eat that food. 
Well, when you find that there is a God who loves you, who sent his son Jesus to die and rise again so that you might be in relationship with him, then that should so change you that you want other people to find that out. No matter who they are, no matter what they are like. And so you see that that's why Jesus is with those people who are not like him. He's not just hanging out with the good people, he's hanging out with all sorts of people. Now, of course, the Pharisees needed to know God. Of course, they were sinners too, but they didn't understand that they were sinners. But then Jesus was hanging out with people who who had been told their whole lives that they were terrible people. And so they would be the ones who would respond. The ones who knew that they were sinners were the ones who knew that they would need God's mercy. And that's why Jesus is with them. The sick people who know that they are sick are the ones who go and seek the doctor. So what does your life look like? Are you someone who your friendship circle looks just like you? Does your friendship circle look like you are a good person hanging out with other good people who are just like you? Or are you on mission with Jesus, sharing your friendship circle with Him so that through you, that you and Him might be able to meet other people? If you are a group of Christians, your friendship circle as Christians is not just for you. It doesn't belong to you. As Christians, are you welcoming people in who don't know Jesus? Are you making friends with people who are not like you? Do you go and seek those people who would have no chance of knowing about Jesus if it wasn't for the fact that they would have a relationship with you? And that might be uncomfortable. I don't know how comfortable Jesus was at these parties that he was at. Maybe he was really comfortable. Maybe he was uncomfortable by the sin that was going on. I don't know. I know that if I was at those parties, I would be uncomfortable. But the challenge is that I would be there because these are the people who need Jesus. So how are you going to change your life so that you are seeking those people who need to meet Jesus? Maybe that means that you will go and find the people at school who no one else, none of the other Christians want to hang out with. Maybe it means that you are hanging out with the cool group or the druggo group. Or, the, or you're hanging out with the nerds. Maybe you're spending your time in the library. I don't know where you need to go, but where are you going so that people might meet Jesus? Now, what this doesn't mean is that if you're like, yeah, I want to go and be like Jesus and spend time at all the parties and just get drunk with everyone and be just like them. That's not what this is saying. And if you are, you know, like going to evangelize people and going to parties and being just like everyone else, then maybe you need to find other people to hang out with. But if you are going to, to hang out with people and you're not going to be just like them, but you're going to show them Jesus, then will you give up your comfortable life so that you can share your love of Jesus with others, that they might know the mercy of Jesus? Are you going the places where those people are? And then the second challenge is, what does your crew group look like? Is your crew group or your lunchtime group a place where if your, these people were to come along, would they be welcome? Would they feel welcome? Would they be loved? Now, we as Christians, we're pretty good at when people come along at being polite to people who are not like us. Like, hello, nice to have you. Go over there and just fit in with us. But when people come along and they start acting like themselves, that's when we find it difficult. So what we need to be willing to do is to welcome people into our lunchtime groups and be willing to let our lunchtime groups be changed because we have all sorts of different people there. 
Because when you find the people who come along who are going to muck up, they're going to change your comfortable group. When you find people who come along who are going to talk about their crazy life, it's going to change your group. Would like the most loud and proud gay person in your school, if they came to your group, would they be loved and welcomed? Or if the person who rarely turns up to school because they keep getting suspended for setting things on fire or, or threatening people with knives, if they turned up to your group, would they be loved and welcomed? Because your group doesn't exist so that you can be comfortable. Your group exists so that Christians can be built up and so that other people might meet Jesus. That the mercy of God might be known throughout your school. Now, I don't exactly know how this all works. I've rarely seen it work. But the challenge for us is that we've seen Jesus do it. That he was all about mercy and seeing people receive mercy. So how can we be people who are all about mercy and seeing other people receive mercy. I'm going to finish by telling you a story of something I saw happen at my youth group once. I was running a a morning group a few years ago at my church. It was on Sunday mornings, and it was a bunch of good Christian kids, and we would meet together uh, during church, and we would do the crew resources that are over there on that table. We'd play a game, and then we'd read the Bible, and then we'd go through the questions and do a short Bible study, and it was good. It worked well. Um, kids were learning about Jesus. It was great. And then there was one kid who, when he was at school, he wasn't hanging out with all the good kids. He was hanging out with the dodgy kids. And he, for some reason, invited them to come along on a Sunday morning to our, our youth group on a Sunday morning. And he invited them along, and they came along, and it was weird. It was very strange. There was him and these three other guys, and like everything I said, they would turn into some kind of rude joke and, like, and then laugh with each other. I'm like, I don't, I don't quite know what I'm doing with these guys. But they joined in. They did their very best to answer the questions. They've got most of the questions wrong, but they tried. They played the games and most of the games that, you know, we were good, well-behaved Christian kids being nice to each other. And they were like, let's throw the ball at each other's faces. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, we don't know what to do. But somehow they, they loved it. They felt welcomed and cared for, and our good Christian kids welcomed them and cared for them. And so they came back, and I asked them where they came from, like, oh yeah, we live on the other side of the city. They traveled for an hour every Sunday morning to come and join us at our weird little Sunday morning Christian youth group. I don't know why they did it, but they did. And I'd be like, what did you do on Saturday? And people were like, oh, I did my homework, or practiced my piano, and like, oh, I got drunk in the park. And we're like, okay. <laughs> Well, thanks for coming. (laughs) And I don't know why they kept coming, but they kept coming. And even when their friend who had invited them along, he didn't come sometimes, they still came along. And then they started coming on Sunday nights. One of them drank too much milk and spewed in the toilets. (laughs) And I made him clean it up because, you know, responsibility (laughs) and mercy. Uh, But... But they kept coming and hearing about Jesus. And then eventually they they stopped coming, and I don't exactly know why it was. But for a few months, there were these people who were definitely not like us. And they were joining our group, and they were being welcomed in, and they were hearing about Jesus because they had a friend who was friends with people who were not like him. And he invited them into his group, and he was willing to have his group changed because of them. He was willing to have the courage to give up what was comfortable for him so that other people might know the mercy of God. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to live an uncomfortable life? 
to make friends with people who might not be the most comfortable people for you? Are you willing to let your group be changed so that people who you might not be so comfortable with might hear about the mercy of God? You do that because you have received mercy. You are someone who knows that you are a sinner who was lost and Jesus found you and saved you. And now you get to go on mission with him to go and find other people who need to know the love of Jesus, who need to know his mercy, and they too can be welcomed in to his family. I'm going to say a prayer for us. Father God, we thank you that you did not leave us alone, but you sent your son Jesus, and Jesus came to us on a rescue mission of mercy, and that he was willing to do what must have been so uncomfortable so that we might know you and be welcomed into your family. I pray that we will not be people who think that we are good people doing good things, but we will know that we are people who are desperately in need of mercy and that we have received it from you in your Son. I pray that we will be transformed by this mercy. We will want other people to know this mercy and that we will be willing to sacrifice what is comfortable so that all sorts of people, whether they are like us or not, might be able to know the mercy that they have found that they can find in Jesus Christ. Amen.